Pop Culture Affidavit episode 109. JL May 2020, The Return of Donna Troy. Welcome to episode 109 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneris, and this episode is part of the 2020 JL May crossover event that is covering the entire countdown to and build up to the 2005 DC Comics crossover Infinite Crisis. What you're here for is the series, The Return of Donna Troy. But, I'm not just going to cover The Return of Donna Troy here, because you kind of need to know who she is before you can actually see her come back. So this episode isn't just The Return of Donna Troy, I'm going to cover the life, death, and return of Donna Troy. From her first appearance all the way up to, and even a little beyond, the Return miniseries. Because really, she is one character who has had her origin and identity change so many damn times that even Robert Langdon couldn't have deciphered it. But then again, Robert Langdon isn't me. So, let's start right at her first appearance, and that is in the Silver Age Teen Titans series. Honestly, there's not much to say about the first appearance of Donna Troy as Wonder Girl. It's in the Brave and the Bold, number 60, and she just is there. She shows up as part of the team. She wasn't part of the team in their first appearance, which was the Brave and the Bold, number 54, but at this point, we're supposed to believe that in off-camera land, she would end up joining the team even though she seemingly came from out of nowhere as a sidekick to Wonder Woman. In fact, according to my crack research of five minutes searching the DC Wiki, he had a report due on space, and then he got the new encyclopedia. I think I made that abundantly clear. Um, yes. I discovered that the first appearance of Donna in a Wonder Woman comic isn't until Wonder Woman Volume 1, number 265, which was published in 1980, and even that was part one of a two-part solo backup. The first time that she and Wonder Woman appeared together in an issue of Wonder Woman in the same story was in issue 287 of the first volume of Wonder Woman, and that was cover dated 
January 1982, a good 17 years after her first appearance. To be fair, though, I know that she and Wonder Woman interacted in Teen Titans books before that, but I just wanted to point out that because, as we all know, Bob Haney more or less created her out of thin air, caused all sorts of freaky-ass continuity gaffes, and couldn't have cared less. And, well, you know, it is zany Haney, right? Anyway... It's not until Marv Wolfman comes along that we get anything in terms of a backstory or origin, and it's not because he was reviving the team with the new Teen Titans in 1980. No, we're talking about Teen Titans number 22, July-August 1969, and a backup story called The Origin of Wonder Girl. Wolfman wrote it. The art credit goes to Gil Kane and Nick Carty. At the end of the main story of the issue, which is some sort of alien invasion thing, the Titans return to their headquarters and Wonder Girl faints. The boys figure she's tired because she's just a girl and girls aren't strong as boys. Alright, not really. They're actually alarmed. Because these fainting spells have been happening more and more often. Robin figures it has something to do with Wonder Woman losing her powers because he's been doing extensive research on her new outfits using the Batcave computer. And maybe all the Amazons are losing their powers. Or maybe that's just Robin's porn. But anyway, Donna's all, but I'm not an Amazon. And they're all, you're not? She's all, uh, you don't know my life. And they're all, well, we don't. And she's all, well, let me tell you then. And she proceeds to tell her story. So basically, at this point, Donna really has no idea where she came from. And all she knows is that when she was two years old, the apartment building she lived in caught fire. Wonder Woman was on patrol, saw the fire, helped put it out, and rescued her from the building, and then she brought her to Paradise Island. Once on the island, they tried to train her like an Amazon, but she really wasn't an Amazon, so they used Paula's purple ray to give her those powers. Then she headed into Man's World, and, well, here we are. Oh, and she's been squatting at headquarters. The boys tell her that they'll help her, and they take her to meet Sharon Tracy, who Speedy hits on, like, right away. So... Donna moves in with Sharon, the girls hit it off, Sharon goes out to party all night, and Donna decides, well, she's going to need some rest, and then she gets a message from Queen Hippolyta that the Amazons have been using the Purple Ray a lot lately, and it's been draining Donna's strength. But now that's all over, and she'll be okay. So Donna decides to create a new costume, and it's all, new place, new uniform! And this leads to a splash page of Wonder Girl in her brand new costume, which we see on the cover of Teen Titans number 23, the iconic Nick Cardi cover of her bursting through the picture of her old costume. Girl, 
now a reading from New Titans number 85. Dear Jonathan, issue number 80 was awesome. We think that it was a spectacular follow-up to this year's annual. Kerry Gamble's art was superior. Marv Wolfman wrote yet another amazing story that blew us away. Well, enough small talk. We have a few questions that we'd like to ask and a few points to make. First, the questions. Who is this John guy? We think he was named after you. Two, why was issue 81 month late with no letter column? Hmm? Now, we have a few points to make. This first one is actually a request to have you guys bring God Logan, he's our idol, only kidding, out of stasis and have him put Terra out of her misery. Two, we think, well Harris here thinks, two, we think, well Harris here thinks, that you're bringing the vigilante back. Could it be humanly possible that he is John? And three, our final request, please kill Donna Troy! Until next issue, people for the death of Donna Troy, aka Tom Penneries and Harris Stein. Uh, is this like a formal organization or what? Boy, I know I opened some serious floodgates when we said we'd kill some characters and make some changes, but I didn't think clubs would spring up. As to your questions, one, John is Red Wing's brother. As to what happened to his body and how he and all the Team Titans got their various superpowers, stay tuned! As to his name, I'm sure Marv would never resort to such a cheap tactic to butter me up, though our next saga does prominently star King Peterson, too. Don't ask. Halloween is over and was a horror story for all concerned. Meanwhile, look to the pages of Deathstroke for the return of Vigilante and us to Gar and Terra interacting. Come back next month for a surprise run-in. While she says she's going to keep searching for her own origins, we don't get much of anything until New Teen Titans number 38, which is Who is Donna Troy, a story that was seeded in the series' very first issue. When we first see Wonder Girl in New Teen Titans number 1, she's searching through the wreckage of that burned-out apartment building, and we get this story retold in a couple of panels. Then Dick and Gar show up, and it's off to figure out who this Raven woman is, and Corey falls through Grant Wilson's roof. And the series begins. 
Now I'm going to get to who is Donna Troy in a moment, but we have a couple of stops to make along the way. First, there's New Teen Titans number 8, which is when we meet her boyfriend, the guy with the soft rock beard to end all soft rock beards, Terry Long. Terry and Donna, of course, will get married in issue 50 of what would then be called Tales of the Teen Titans. Before that, she'd cheat on him in a big way with an actual Titan. It has nothing to do directly with her origin or the return of Donna Troy, but I would like to point out New Teen Titans issues number 11 and 12, where after Gar almost gets fried by Deathstroke's staff at the end of the previous issue, the Titans fly him to Paradise Island, and while he's there, Hyperion and the other Titans of Myth escape Tartarus, and when Donna lassos Hyperion, he seduces her. And honestly, it's a great two-parter, where the Titans return to Earth to seek their revenge on the gods and the Amazons, and there's just some epic battles with George Perez art, and since Hyperion and the Titans of Myth do play a big role in the Return of Donna Troy miniseries, it's a great story to read, even if it's not technically in continuity at that point, because Crisis does wipe out the whole Donna as an Amazon thing for a while. But I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> At the end, the good guys win. Donna breaks up with Hyperion because she realizes that he made her love him instead of her actually love him, loving him. And then she runs to Terry and she tells him that she loves him. Now fast forward to 1983 and New Teen Titans number 38. This of course is Who is Donna Troy, a comic book that is among my favorite issues of the New Teen Titans, if not my favorite single issue comic story of all time. Terry hires Robin to investigate Donna's past and we get what at the time is the definitive Donna Troy origin. Dick starts by going to the burned-out building where Donna was found, and it's a good thing, too, because they actually eventually tear it down and turn it into a mall. Dick's got the blueprints on him. He finds a hidden storage space that contains a tattered doll, and this is a catalyst for his investigation that eventually reveals that Donna was born to a young woman named Dorothy Hinckley, and she was given up for adoption. She was then adopted by the Stacy family, who raised her for roughly a year or so until hard times forced them to give her up for adoption. She was then put into a home that was part of a child-selling operation and would have been sold herself if the building's furnace hadn't exploded. Wonder Woman rescues Donna, and that brings us back to what we know. There is an incredibly tearful reunion in the issue with Faye Stacy, who is Donna's adopted mother, and Donna leaves the story happy. Then we head into the Judas Contract, where everyone realizes how stupid they were for trusting Terra. So, Donna and Terry get married, and I don't really feel like recapping that except to say that Rob Liefeld attended the wedding, and they both joined the Mile High Club at the end of the issue. <sighs> 
We go back into the adventures of the team, and right around the time Crisis was wrapping up, Dick and Jericho go to Tamaran to watch Corey get married to somewhere else. Raven goes missing. Gar and Vic go off looking for Mento. Cole dies, and Donna winds up more or less holding the bag. But she's also sort of having marital problems because Terry can't get his act together and publish because he's got this writer's block thing. I don't know. And after Dick returns from Tamaran, he's all bearded of sorrow, and he confronts her in her apartment, berating her for letting her personal life get in the way of her Titans-ing, to which I say, uh, dude, you went into outer space because of your girlfriend. Donna beats the crap out of Dick, and he totally deserves it. And issue number 19 of the Baxter series is when this happens, and it's got this awesome Perez cover of Dick licking his wounds in front of a shattered mirror while Donna just points at him in anger. Oh, it's so good. And Eduardo Barreto's art, by the way, First of all, he gets to draw a Corey in an S&M getup and then nude because she gets to consummate her marriage to Karis while thinking completely about Dick. And yes, I mean Grayson and, well, probably that too. And then she's nude with Raven like 20 issues later. And and it's not the whole, you know, sexy Titan women uh, thing that is the reason I think that Eduardo Barreto deserves more credit than he is given for his run on the Titans. But, you know, he he is sandwiched between Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, very short run on a Titans of Myth story that takes place in issues uh, 7, 8, and 9, and 10, 11, and the origin of Cole in uh, in the New Teen Titans Baxter series, and the return of George Perez in issue 50 of what would then be the New Titans, which is something I'm going to talk about in a moment. He's really good. He is such an, he was always such an underrated artist. He was always one of the, sometimes he ended up just being the person who took over for the person who had more notoriety, but I always give him credit for drawing a very, very solid run of the new Teen Titans and uh, really did enjoy his work, even if the Baxter paper wasn't his best friend, but that's a whole other commentary thing and we need to get to issue 47 of the new teen titans anyway because that's when we get teased by having cousin oliver and jericho go through all the titans files you know there's this recap of origins and some bullshit with wildebeest because that went on for like forever and at the very very end scrappy Doo asks jericho about donna and about why her origin is in the files and why it's all like she was rescued from the burning building by a fireman but she's never met wonder woman and it's all sorts of confused because Crisis essentially erased the Wonder Woman part of Wonder Girl's origin. So that's the question that we have to answer, right? And that brings us to who is Wonder Girl?
now, a reading from New Titans number 95. There's no letter column next issue. We'll get Guy Gardner after you and Donna Troy. Screen readers Tom Penneries and Harris Stein. Yeah, well, Pantha says that Gardner is a wimp, and his mother cuts his hair funny. Personally, I think that Guy is a fine hero and an asset to the DC Universe. There will be a letter column next issue. Oh, and... Oh, don't give in to that orange-haired creep. Shut up, Pantha. spotlight this for a brief moment because this is what Phil Jimenez is pulling from for the return of Donna Troy, uh, the miniseries. You see, because George Perez and DC had Wonder Woman's introduction come later than that of any hero. So she was not part of the Silver Age and therefore did not found the Justice League of America. Donna therefore could not have been rescued by Wonder Woman from that burning building because she appeared as Wonder Girl before Diana appeared as Wonder Woman. So in her mind, Donna was saved by a firefighter. But wait, how then did she become Wonder Girl? Well, enter the Titans of Myth. Remember them? Now I need to clarify something that's a slight mistake here, and it's a slight mistake that tends to be made among people who like to complain about Donna Troy's complicated history. This is not where things get too complex. Yes, DC could have just had Wonder Woman appear much earlier and this story wouldn't have been necessary, but who was Wonder Girl only retcons the parts of Donna Troy's origin after her rescue from that fire? It does not retcon who was Donna Troy. Dorothy Hinckley, the orphanage, the Stacys, that all happened. Yeah, it, it retcons her pre-crisis Paradise Island stories, but overall, most of the Wolfman Paris New Teen Titans did happen. Anyway, what happens in this story is that this random silver ball shows up, and it winds up being a spaceship that some vicious aliens are using to try and kill Donna. But they don't, 
and they're helped by Phoebe, one of the titans of myth, who has used all of her immortal power to stop the aliens. She then tells Donna that she's what's called a titan seed. This means that instead of Fireman Pharaoh rescuing her, Donna was rescued by the titans of myth and brought to a distant planet called New Kronos, with 11 other titan seeds. They all have the potential to be special, and they were trained to be special-powered future titans. But like for real, and not like this is Millennium and they're the new Guardians or any of that shit. Then they were sent back to Earth with some powers, but no memory of New Kronos. They would continue to be powered beings, but the, the full powers would not come until they were much older and they were ready for it. The problem is that one of those Titan seeds, Sparta of the planet Cyrenac, has remembered everything, and it's driven her absolutely crazy. She's been killing the other Titan seeds and stealing their powers, and now she's got her sights set on Donna. So the Titans take off from space and are able to stop Sparta from killing everyone. Sparta winds up being seriously injured, loses her powers, and she's a vegetable at the end of the storyline. The Titans of Myth take Sparta with them to the beyond, wherever they're going from New Kronos. And Donna returns to Earth, gets a short haircut and a costume that only George Perez and Tom Grummet were ever actually able to draw, and a new identity as... Troya. And that's New Titans number 50 through 55, and really, they did her right there, because whereas Diana is the champion of the gods of Olympus, Donna is the champion of the Titans of Myth. So they are very close to being sisters in that sense. I mean, they were sisters pre-crisis, so this kind of reestablishes that. Now, a reading from New Titans, number 98. Dear Frank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Issue 95, had a letter column. We were shocked to see that you finally have been answering the letters of your loyal Titans fans. This issue was one of the best that we have seen in a while. The story that Louise Simonson has written is some of the best work on this book that we have seen since Total Chaos. The artwork was spectacular. Phil Jimenez has brought back to this book what George Perez took with him when he left. We feel that his style of artwork is perfect for the Titans, and we'd like to see more. Not only was this issue on time, it was early! We were shocked that after only two weeks of waiting, we got the next issue! A few questions. One, the 
Does the press know that Nightwing is Dick Grayson, or are they too stupid to realize it? Which will this be on hard copy soon? Two. Any possibilities for a new Titans Justice League crossover? Three. What you got planned for issue 100? Four. Would you please kill Donna Troy? She's human now, so she, because she's human, she can die. Yours truly, Tom Henry's and Harris Stein. People for the death of Donna Troy. Save New York chapter. Ooh, he's down, guys. A few answers. One, they are too stupid to realize it. Two, yes, no, and sort of. Titans, both team and new, will be fighting alongside the majority of DC heroes in this summer at the tail end of the Bloodlines saga. What is Bloodlines? Only the most horrific thing to happen in the DC universe first since Dr. Destiny stopped at a diner and didn't like the service. Check it out in this summer's annuals and you will not regret it. Aside from that, we have a number of JLA things planned for the coming year, but nothing that we're ready to reveal yet. Watch this space for details. Oh, and I almost forgot! A certain member of Justice League Europe will make a quick visit to these pages in issue number 100. You're invited. Three, aside from that little hint I just gave you, I'm not saying, although I would advise all of you longtime readers to dress formally when you're reading that issue. Four, what's the deal with Donna Troy? Why do you guys hate her so much? Will you ever tell me? Don't you hate it when people answer questions with questions? After New Titans, number 55, things end up being pretty stable. Although I definitely want to mention that when Troya did meet Wonder Woman, it was in Wonder Woman number 47 and 48, the volume 2 of that series. It takes place simultaneously with the beginning of the Titans hunt, which is where the Wildebeest Society hunts down the Titans, and it's revealed that Jericho was their leader because he was possessed by the spirit of Trigon, and well, you can read about that on the blog because I covered it years ago. But Donna and Terry, in the beginning of issue 71, leave because they're headed to Greece and to those two Wonder Woman issues. Plus, I think they needed Donna for War of the Gods, which was not the best. But you see, 47 and 48 of the Wonder Woman series were solid Paris written stories. She and Diana take on these woven creature type things. It's like and they actually form a bond closer to the one they had pre-crisis. This carries into War of the Gods, which again, I, it's not the best, but... 
when you read it in the context of everything that went on in Paris as Wonder Woman leading up to the miniseries, it makes a lot more sense and it's a lot more engaging. And I did that recently because I have all three volumes of the George Perez Wonder Woman omnibus. And it's kind of a bummer that DC and Paris were having so many problems around that time and it messed with the War of the Gods story because it had some real potential. No, it's not the best crossover. It's not the best written story, but you know, it's a it's better than it's given credit for. Let me just leave it at that. So after War of the Gods and after the Titans hunt, Donna Troy winds up going back into the New Titans into the storyline called Total Chaos, which you can also read about on the blog. But I feel like I need to mention it because in this one, it's the Team Titans, a team of Teen Titans from the future who were sent back in time from 2001 to kill Donna Troy because the son that she's currently pregnant with goes up to be a supervillain named Lord Chaos. Now, over the course of that story, Donna's killed by Lord Chaos, but then she returns as an extra super-duper Titan Troy, and she's got all of her latent Titan powers at once. And then the Titans of Myth return and eliminate Lord Chaos, but at the cost of Donna's powers. But that's okay because she has Terry and her baby, and they are going to live happily ever after in a farmhouse in New Jersey. (laughs) Just kidding, it was the 90s. The big change after Total Chaos and prior to Zero Hour is that DC made her a dark star. Oh, and they had Terry Long leave her and put her through an incredibly nasty divorce. And the license said you had to stick around until I was dead. But if you're tired of looking at my face, I guess I already am. Although she dates Kyle Rayner for a time, and that's pretty awesome. But then, well, John Byrne gets a hold of her. And what does John Byrne do exactly? Well... He made all of this very confusing and gave me a huge fucking headache, okay? Ugh. I've got a headache this big. It's like a bass drum banging in my head. He kills Terry Long. He kills Terry's daughter, Jennifer. He kills Terry and Donna's son, Robert. Then he completely erases her identity and rebuilds it so that Donna was actually a clone of Wonder Woman that an evil witch-type character named Dark Angel had kidnapped and forced to live increasingly tragic lives, one of which is the life we've seen her live in the Titans books. But then we get a three-issue story called Who is Troya? This is in the Jay Ferber-written Titans book, issues 23, 24, and 25. In this one, the Titans from kingdom come remember that when they had the kingdom and all that well the the titans from the kingdom travel back through hyper time yes remember hyper time to stop dark angel from killing all of the various versions of donna troy and to defeat her they gather an army of donna troys from throughout hyper time to fight dark angel Ugh. well we at least have an idea of who she is at that point anyway and the Titans series does continue for 25 issues after that until graduation day which is the young justice titans crossover series in which donna is killed by a superman robot but at the very end of that story we see that she isn't dead in fact she has reawakened on another world and she's ready to fight again and 
Now, a reading from New Titans number zero. Dear Rob, Carrie, et al. This letter is in response to the recent dramatic changes in the realm of the Titans. In recent months, the team has been shaken up further than it has been since the now classic Titans hunt and total chaos storylines. New Titans Starfire has undergone a tremendous change in personality, accepting her true destiny as a warrior of Tamaran. She has not been able to identify who her friends are. However, in New Titans number 112, we see that her memory is restored through the kiss of Leonid Kovar. She begins to think more clear-headedly. We enjoyed this little turn of events and intelligent exhibits by Starfire and realizing that her quote, marriage to Dick, was something that the two had rushed into. Although we do feel a bit disappointed in the fact that Leonid was the one to restore her memory and not Dick, it made a little more sense R.E. the new Teen Titans original series number two. Along with the changes in Starfire, there have been changes in the team as a whole. It seems that the Titans will be a government controlled operation. We agree that this was a good idea but we have mixed feelings about why it was a good idea. Harris says, It's a good idea because they won't be treated as outcasts and the storylines will not have them running from the law all the time. Tom says, I like the idea because I feel that the government might try to control the team too much and perhaps the government itself will be portrayed as a villain by trying to control the metahumans. Some hero versus US government head-on battles and conflicts instead of hero on the run stories would be nice for a change. Finally, they are the Teen Titans. Yes, we are writing about the team as because we know the title will be cancelled as of Zero Hour, so we would like to voice a few opinions. First, we would like to see the relationship between Terra and Changeling explored further. Second, we would like to see more of the team as crossover into the New Titans. Finally, we abandon our crusade, which we have kept up for years. As a result of the events in Teen Titans and the Dark Stars, Donna Troy is going to become a Dark Star. We are glad that she is going to become a hero instead of a housewife. So we, the co-founders and co-presidents of the People for the Death of Donna Troy, Civil New York chapter, officially dissolve the organization permanently. Here's to the future. Keep up the good work, Tom Paneris and Harris Stein. Say it ain't so, guys. After all this time in a relentless crusade to have Donna Troy killed, it's over? I can't believe it. I'll miss the barrage of letters you've been sending. Terra and Mirage from the Teamers will be joining the Titans, and I promise you that the relationship between Changeling and Terra will keep you on pins and needles, Carrie. So before I get to the return of Donna Troy, I want to highlight a six-page story that was in the Teen Titans Outsider's Secret Files and Origins number one in 2003. It's called, Who Was Donna Troy? And it takes place at the funeral held for Donna. The credits are as follows. Words and pencils, Phil Jimenez. Inks, Andy Lanning. Colors, Tom McGraw. Separations, Wildstorm FX. Letters, Comic Craft. And special thanks to Devin Grayson. We open with Cassie Sansmark, a.k.a. Wonder Girl, looking for Diana after the funeral because she wants to know where to donate the leftover food. 
She then comes upon some of Donna's mementos as well as photo albums, some of which are old pictures of her and her civilian life. We flash to Faye Evans, who was once Faye Stacy, who was holding Donna's old doll. Then we flash to a conversation between Roy and Leanne Harper, where he does his best to explain death to her and why they are doing what they can to remember her now. And Leanne says, Dead? Donna's not really dead, Daddy. She'll come back like Uncle Ollie did. You'll see. Roy says that sometimes you get lucky like that, but he doesn't think she's coming back. Cassie continues to look at pictures, and we travel from a conversation between her former photography studio colleagues to Green Lantern Kyle Ringner, who was Donna's boyfriend while she was a dark star, and his current girlfriend, Jade. He's saying that he's worried she'll die as well, since Donna is dead and the woman he was dating before Donna, Alex, was the original woman in a refrigerator. Jade assures him that she'll be fine, and then we flash to Gar Logan and Vic Stone, aka Changeling, and... Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, it's Beast Boy again. And Cyborg. They talk about issues 19, 20, 21 of the Baxter series, where Donna reassembled the original Teen Titans to fight against Cheshire. Gar says, I remember afterward we had this talk. I told her that it was okay that she messed up sometimes, that she didn't have to be perfect all the time because we'd love her anyway, just the way she was. When are people I love gonna stop dying? Cassie then reflects on how Starfire was saying a Tamaranian prayer for Donna, but her thoughts are interrupted by her mother and they go through the album some more. They look at her wedding pictures and then talk about how Marsha Long, Terry's first wife, showed up and laid into the heroes at the funeral, even Wonder Woman, because her daughter Jennifer died in the car crash that killed Terry. We see Angleman talking to Jon Stewart. Stewart was a friend of Donna's from the Dark Star days, and Angleman is a Wonder Woman villain who was a big part of Donna's stories that Jimenez wrote during his Wonder Woman run. We then cut to Superman and Lois Lane talking to Wonder Woman on the apartment balcony. Superman blames himself because it was one of her, his robots that killed her. Diana says not to blame himself. Lois leaves and Superman flies off. Then Batman appears and comforts Diana. We see Nightwing brooding, and Cassie finally finds Diana and says that she and her mother are all done cleaning up, and she found some pictures. Diana goes through some of the more recent photos, and then Cassie says that she's a little doubtful that she should continue to be Wonder Girl. But she concludes by saying she'll talk to Diana about it later and that she's not going to make any decisions right away. But I'm going to try and follow some advice Donna gave me right before she died, and whatever happens, I'll make you both proud. I promise. I have no idea where I'm going to be tomorrow, but I accept the fact that tomorrow will come, and I'm going to rise to meet it. We've seen Donna get some of the most intimate and most epic stories throughout her birth, origin, and other milestones in her life. This funeral story, even though it's a small one, is one of the best send-offs that any writer who really cared for her could have given her. And now, we know who she was. So how did she return? Well, we'll find out after this.
I hope he's home. Why does it sound like I'm using a phone in the UK? I told you never to call me again. Yeah. I know, and modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, I'm getting the trailer for this year's JL May together, and I assumed I had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something. <laughs> well, look at you, leading this year's JL May. Somebody's wearing his big boy pants. So, what's the theme? I sent you an email like a month ago. Like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child. The theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event. The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020 with a special episode of Views from the Long Box covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 80-page giant, and from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes! Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. JL May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020, on Views from the Long Box. And continues into Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Married with Comics, The Coffee and Comics Podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast.
The Return of Donna Troy, or DC Special The Return of Donna Troy as it is officially known, was a four-issue miniseries released in the summer of 2005. The cover dates run from August to October, and the release dates are as follows. Issue number one on May 25th, issue two on July 7th, issue three on August 3rd, and issue four on October 5th. The creative team for the series was as follows. The writer is Phil Jimenez with Chuck Kim assisting on issue four. The art team is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, on pencils with George Perez on inks. Lettering for issue number one is by Ken Lopez with Rob Lee taking over for issues number two through four. Coloring for issue one is Martin Breccia, Nestor Herreria and Lee Lockridge, with Lockridge handling the rest of the series. Assistant editor is Janine Schaefer-Esperanza, and the editors are Joan Hilty Gomez and someone whom I refuse to name. Issue number one, A Golden Age to Conquer. The cover is As the Case with All of Them by Phil Jimenez and George Perez. It has Donna in her all-black Troya costume flying at us with new Kronos and a red planet in the background. And honestly, there's nothing much to say about this or any of the other covers except they are all absolutely gorgeous. But let's get to the comic then. We open in space and our caption says, Three billion years ago, the immortal guardians of the universe carved the cosmos into 3,600 sectors, each defined by an emerald knight armed with an indomitable will and a ring of vast unimaginable power. Yet neither the Green Lantern Corps nor their immortal creators ever dreamed that a tiny planetoid of the far side of the universe was in and of itself the deadliest weapon of all. The planet is Minosis. And we zoom in on the ring of asteroids that orbits the planet where a group of Tamaranian soldiers are fighting against defense droids. They make their way through them, blabbing on about giving their lives to their lords. And who are those lords? Why, they're the titans of myth, who are watching them from New Kronos. And they're annoyed that the people on the planet below won't just cooperate. Among the Titans of Myth is Troya, the former teen titan who has been resurrected and is now married to Coeus, the husband of Phoebe. And you'll remember that she was the titan who died at the very beginning of the Who is Wonder Girl storyline in New Titans number 51. Troya has been plagued by dreams of her life among mortals, and Coeus reminds her that she is a titan, the goddess of the moon. They get a status check-in, and while Hyperion and Thea prepare to celebrate their impending victory, Troya isn't so sure about that. Koya says that she's bothered by the dreams, and Nisemene, the goddess of the sea, shows Troya her true origins, which is as a titan seed who has now achieved the place in the universe that they hoped she would. Troya knows this, but she doesn't get why she still has memories of a life on Earth with a group named the Titans. Oh, oh, Hyperion tells her oh, not to worry, baby, because they're going to conquer Minosis and take whatever they're looking for, and it means that, that it won't be able to be used in the war between Ron and Thanagar, which you can hear about over on the Coffee and Comics podcast as part of this year's JLMA event. 
Donna knows that he's also trying to put the moves on her and rejects his sun god ass by telling him that the Minosians are rejecting them, but he's all, They will kneel before us! Kneel, I say! We cut to the surface of the planet where Sparta, who was a total vegetable at the end of Who is Wonder Girl, now has all of her faculties restored and is a faithful leader of the Titans' troops as they weigh lace to and slaughter the Minotians. But the planet's citizens aren't going down without a fight and they attack Sparta. Hyperion is all, uh, look, they're bad people. And Troya is all, maybe we can end this instead of using an army to just kill a bunch of people while you get plastered, jackass? Hyperion clearly doesn't give a shit and is more or less ready to let Sparta die in the name of their battle there. Troya remembers her origins one more time and receives a telepathic distress signal from Sparta. She then decides to take matters into her own hands. She armors up, fights her way through the Minotians who are trying to kill Sparta, and then Sparta dies in her arms. A moment later, Athens... The other Titan seed from Who Was Wonder Girl who survived the whole thing shows up because he got the telepathic message as well. He clearly knows that she's somehow being controlled by the Titans of Myth. He reminds Donna that she's a good guy, but Donna's hearing none of it and they go right at one another. Athens is all, don't make me destroy you. And Troy is all, uh, and then you woke up, pal. Meanwhile, one of the all-too-familiar new Kronos orbs heads towards Outsider's headquarters in New York and finds Shift, the metamorpho offspring, sitting at a computer. He's all, oh, no, not another freaking break-in, and he grabs it. Issue 2's cover shows the armored Troya appearing before the Teen Titans and Outsiders. And I should note that while the costume Donna was wearing on the cover of issue 1 is pretty much her classic Wonder Girl costume with just a black starscape pattern, this armor is its reminiscent in places of the costume that Perez designed when she first became Troya. It's not as complicated, but it has some features that are clearly meant to remind us of that. Stark Contrast is the name of this one, and we open where we left off, with Shift fighting with the glowing orb, but she's stopped by Starfire, who literally plows through him because she recognizes it, as does Nightwing, who tells the attacking Arsenal and Jade to stand down. And what does this mean? Well, it means, thank Zal, that Donna Troy is alive! Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. In San Francisco at Titan's Tower, Cassie Sansmark, a.k.a. Wonder Girl, looks over some pictures and cries about how Connor Kent, Superboy, recently went completely nuts and tried to kill all of them because part of his DNA is from Lex Luthor and Jeff Johns. So that means that this takes place after issue 26 of that Teen Titans series and issue 25 of Outsiders. Anyway, as she sits there, Gar Logan, a.k.a. Changeling, I mean Beast Boy, because DC needed to be Beast Boy and not Changeling, because the cartoon was Beast Boy and not Changeling, but damn it, I like the name Changeling, and honestly, that's how I learned what the word Changeling actually meant. So I'm going to call him Changeling. So there you go. You can suck it up. Sigar so changes the travel orb across the Titan's Tower, compounded inside, and at Troya's statue in the Hall of Memory, it stops and opens up. Arsenal comes out, and they head out into space. We get to 
we get a catch up on who all of these people are. This episode is already long enough without me giving you a roll call and a description for each member, so let's just go to Raven. Raven says that she's pretty sure Donna is no longer the person that they once knew. Wonder Girl confirms it, saying that Donna is in terrible trouble. They point out that New Cronus is much different than they remember it from their earlier adventure. And yeah, I should point out that back in the New Titans issues, it was just this rocky crescent-shaped moon planet. But now it's a rocky crescent-shaped moon planet with a huge city built into the side. But they don't go to New Cronus. Instead, they land on the surface of Minosis and are immediately attacked by the same citizens that killed Sparta. It doesn't last long, though, because Athens shows up and explains that they were just protecting their city and they didn't deliberately want to harm anyone. Those on the team, who were of the New Titans, Gar, Cyborg, Raven, Starfire, and Nightwing, recognize Athens and Cassie senses the Titan's seed power within him. Consequently, Athens recognizes that Cassie has immense power like theirs. She asks if they can see Donna, and he says they might not like what they will see, but he'll show them. Troya has been captured and is chained up. Raven senses that her mind is in terrible trouble. Corey's all, Zal, what happened to her? And Troya spits that she needs to serve her like, every, like the other Tamaranians are and release her because she's trying to save the universe from destruction. The Titans of Myth watch, but they do nothing, and they wonder what the presence of Athens means. Coeus points out to Hyperion that the Titans have saved the Titans of Myth's asses before. Hyperion clearly doesn't give a shit and says that they'll all be punished for whatever it is they do. Then they have this enigmatic conversation about some Oracle's predictions, the collapse between universes, and how there's something really bad coming, so they need what is beneath the planet's surface, which seems to be a super weapon of some sort. And if Troya learns the truth about who she is and how she is being used, then they'll all die. Coeus tries to make them remember the promises they made to the Titan Seed to basically not be evil, refusing to believe that they could just lay waste to so much and kill so many people who were essentially their adopted children. Granted, they spent a decent amount of time in Greek mythology trying to kill their actual children, but, you know, they've turned over a new leaf and everything. Back on the planet, Kid Flash does recon of the area, seeing the destruction the Titans have brought. Athens points out that the Titans of Myth have basically messed with Donna's mind to create this goddess named Troia. Wonder Girl shows her the picture of her and Wonder Woman, telling her that this is her sister, Diana. Donna screams that her real sister, Sparta, died trying to prevent the aliens on this planet from turning over their weapons to the Ronians, Theranagarians, Kuns, or anybody else. She was an innocent victim, she claims. But Jade shows her the footage of the devastation, and then Donna struggles with the cognitive dissonance that this is causing. She calls out to Coeus, and he uses his powers to release her, which unleashes the power within her, and she's ready to attack. So issue number three is called Knights of the Sun and the Moon. Knights with a K. And the cover shows Troya with the battle-damaged costume standing over a beaten Wonder Girl. Cassie's lasso is tied around her throat and she has her hand pulling it away so it doesn't completely choke her while Troya's boot is right on her chest. 
and a great artistic touch is the starscape behind Troya that looks like it's also a cape. We open with the Titans of Myth assessing Troya's new freedom and deciding that they're going to be able to get what they want because surely she will kill all of her former friends and family and help them get to whatever it is beneath the surface of the planet. And on that planet, it's a big battle between Troya and the Titans. She knocks around Athens and Cyborg before taking on Jade and Starfire. Jade gets knocked out quickly, but Cory goes right at her and they are locked in battle, with Troya clearly wanting to kill her former best friend and roommate. Meanwhile, some of the Minotians ask Kid Flash to follow them because they want to show him something. Starfire and Troya battle in the same staves competition that we saw them engaged in in the Judas contract. It's a very evenly matched fight until Arsenal distracts Troya and Starfire knocks her away. Roy fires arrows at her and Troya catches them and throws them back at him, but Cassie intervenes and blocks them with her bracelets. It's then up to Nightwing to try to talk some sense into her, or at least get her attention long enough for Shift, who is disguised as one of Roy's arrows and is wrapped around her forearm to burn her with phosphorus. Jade binds her in a construct and Cassie wraps the lasso around her. On New Kronos, the Titans of Myth continue to watch and continue to scheme. Some want our heroes to be spared because of the help they've given them in the past. Most of the others say that the universe is doomed, they must leave it, and the key is beneath the surface of the planet. Hyperion, true to his pre-crisis self, schemes to nail Troya, to which his wife Thea is all a keep it in your pants. Coeus is upset that his wife is in the middle of all of this, and he might possibly lose her. Troya overpowers Jade's constructs and Cassie's lasso. Cassie gives her one of those the Donna I know speeches, and Troya answers, of course, with the Donna you know is a figment of your imagination, little goddess, and proceeds to beat the ever-loving shit out of her. Below the planet, Kid Flash figures out what the big secret is. Athens shows up to tell him why this is the MacGuffin. Cassie and Troya continue to fight. Kid Flash reports back to the Titans. Nightwing tells Raven to get inside Donna's head, and she does, showing her exactly what she and the Titans of Myth have been doing. Nightwing then orders Jade to dig below the surface of the planet and for Cassie to knock Donna down into that cavern. And she is then face-to-face with, well, whatever the hell the Titans of Myth were after. The others arrive. She recognizes all of them, and she and Cory both realize they are standing in a Sun Eater factory. And while she was told by the Titans of Myth that they want to destroy it, she realizes that they want to use it. We then get the origin of the planet Minosis. It's a nexus zone, a natural warp for interdimensional travel. The controllers, you know, the pink versions of the Guardian of the Universe, who were the bosses of the Dark Stars, but were also Donna's bosses back in the 90s when she was getting divorced from Terry Long and dating Kyle Rayner, took over the planet and turned it into a manufacturing center for their weapons of mass destruction. They knew if they had to, they could use the nexus stone to transport the Sun Eater anywhere they wanted, but they decided they'd gone too far and they abandoned it. The Minosians took the planet back But then the Titans of Myth came on their mission, and that mission is to obviously take one of those weapons and go wherever they want in the universe. The Titans regroup, and Donna, who is now dressed 
in the halter and choker version of the Black Starfield Troy costume. And seriously, what's with the choker? It's weirdly out of place. I mean, at least Jimenez and Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, make it look good, but this is one of those costumes that people easily screw up because they either can't draw throats correctly or they make the straps on the costume so thin that it looks like the top is going to snap right off. Then again, the people who usually draw the costume like that with the thin straps also tend to draw her with two basketballs strapped to her chest as if she's actually Corey. So there you go. Anyway, Donna cries about all the things she's been a part of, but there's not much time to do that. The Titans of Myth are on their way. She and Athens quickly light a funeral pyre for Sparta, and they vow vengeance. The Titans' army descends, and Donna goes right at them and into... Issue number four, which is called A Dark Fate Foretold, and the cover of which features Donna in the exact same pose, but wearing her halter and choker costume instead of... Uh, new Cronus behind her, and I should say that's the exact same pose as uh, issue number one. And behind her, we see all of the Titans plus Wonder Woman. We open where we left off with Donna charging into battle. She tells them that she's got all of her memories back and that she wants a divorce from Coeus. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong And I grew strong And I learned how to get along And so you're back from out of space I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face I should have changed that stupid lock I should have made you leave your key If I'd have known for just one second you'd be back to bother me The battle begins with the enormous army of titans of myth taking on the enormous army of teen titans, outsiders, and Myonosians. And here's where I'm going to pause for a moment and talk a little bit about the art because it's just gorgeous. I mean, why wouldn't it be? You have Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, on pencils with George Perez on inks. So you get both grace and detail along with some deeply rendered figures and scenes. Both of these men have so much experience handling these characters as well as large casts that every single panel is not only gorgeous, but the action is fluid. It has a lot of feel to it. These feel like the titans that I have loved reading for decades. And that is not only reinforced by Jimenez's writing, which also has elements of his love for the characters. So hats off to him and hats off to the coloring as well. I especially like the fact that the colors took the time to put the starscape in Donna and Coeus's hair and really took advantage of the amount of detail that Garcia Lopez and Perez put on the page. Oh, and I got my copy signed by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Anyway, let's get back to the action of the issue, right? While the Titan armies engage in the battle for the planet, Coeus, Hyperion, and Thea take Donna down below the surface of the planet to that Sun Eater factory to show her that they want to use the Nexus portal to go to the next universe, so they're not after the weapons of mass destruction, because this Nexus portal once was a Nexus to different points in the old multiverse. 
Donna asks why she's the key to this nexus. Hyperion says that she's unique. We then see that they had chosen her to lead them to their next eternity because she was a being of the multiverse, having lived different versions of the same life. On Earth 1, we get the Who is Donna Troy version of her rescue, which was by Wonder Woman. On Earth 2, she was saved by her firemen and raised in an orphanage. On Earth S, she died. On Earth 7, she was rescued by the Anti-Monitor, and he turned her into his version of Harbinger, which was Dark Angel. But then the crisis came, and since she was a holdover from the multiverse, the new universe tried to give her a backstory that was a hodgepodge of all the others. Dark Angel tried to destroy her, yada yada yada, and we're here. The point is, kids, that when Rhea saved her from that fire on the post-crisis Earth, she knew what Donna was. She knew that Donna was, in a sense, multiversal. Or to put it a better way, the multiverse had essentially hid itself in Donna, the same way we'll see it hide itself in Power Girl in Infinite Crisis. And now the Titans of Myth expect her to program the Nexus to open into a new universe, where Jim Shooter and the Beyonder are waiting. Oh my god. I'm shipping Donna Troy the Beyonder right now. She's got this godlike power. He's just as greasy as Terry Long. It really works. On the surface of the planet, the Titans of Myth all disappear, only to reappear by the Nexus Gateway, and when he gets there, Coeus explains to Donna that they have watched her get killed by the Superman robot, but saw her soul return, so they retrieved her, brought her to New Cronus, and then manipulated her mind into believing that she loved Coeus so that he could have a wife and she could lead them into this next plane of existence. Hyperion, who was the Titan who manipulated her pre-crisis, orders her to open the Stargate, and she does. The Titans walk through, and only Coeus Thea Hyperion remain. Coeus walks through and asks her to take his hand. She says she can't do that, and we find out that she didn't send them to the new universe. She sent them to Tartarus, the mythical place of imprisonment of the Titans of Myth. <laughs> Hyperion and Thea demand that she bring them back, and she refuses, saying she'll die before she does that. Hyperion is about to attack her when Arsenal, who snuck into the cavern, fires an arrow at him. Hyperion then attacks Arsenal and nearly fries him, but then he goes in for a second shot and Donna blocks that. Coeus, who hasn't completely gone into Tartarus, sees the error of his ways and activates a Sun Eater, which is the weapon that could kill Hyperion and Thea. They wind up trapped between the Sun Eater and the Stargate and therefore wind up getting torn apart. Coeus sacrifices himself as well, and the cavern collapses just as Wonder Girl jumps in to help them all get out. In the aftermath of the planet's surface, Donna is reunited with the Titans. 
Athens is made leader of what's left of the armies, and Donna returns to New Cronus. Meeting her there is Wonder Woman, who brought along Harbinger's History of the Universe orb. And we end happily. Until we turn the page. Donna has finished telling her story and adding her entry to the orb, and then she asks to see the entire record. The past is familiar as is the present, but the future, she says, is all wrong. She says, I see old friends returning, but also death. I see the end of everything coming far too quickly, and it's terrible. This is too much, too big. I need help! Not the end. From there we go to Infinite Crisis as Donna gathers several heroes to travel to where the center of the universe has shifted, and she'll wind up interfering with Alexander Luther's efforts to recreate the multiverse. But as far as the return of Donna Troy, well, that part is over, and I have to say that this was not as dense or confusing as I once thought it was. Yes, it definitely is less confusing when you know her entire history with the Titans of Myth, but even so, there's enough of a primer in the series' flashbacks for us to figure out who they are. And even so, remove that, and you have a story where a hero has been captured and brainwashed to do the bidding of a group who is taking advantage of chaos in order to gain, well, something. Power? access, riches. It doesn't necessarily need to tie directly into the overall story the way the other stories do. It simply needs to bring Donna Troy back. In fact, the countdown to Infinite Crisis stuff here is kind of tacked on as if the Teen Titans editors had the idea to bring her back all along and then the higher-ups said that they had something in mind for her with Infinite Crisis. On its own, I really like this series. The art is, of course, gorgeous, as I mentioned. The nod to Titans continuity are there, but they're not as fan servicey as uh, the JLA Titans miniseries was from 2000. And you can tell that Jimenez not only cares about the character, but also has grown as a writer, because it's a fairly streamlined story. Yeah, it's definitely wordy in places, but I thought the pacing was steady and it had the right beats. Now, I'll say that Donna's role in Infinite Crisis is kind of a D-plot or C-plot at best. And there are times where it's distracting from the main story and only seems to serve as a way to set various heroes off on post-crisis directions, like resurrecting the concept of Ion and Green Lantern, or messing with Firestorm again, or getting a few heroes lost in space for 52. 
Plus, the catalyst for everything is her basically taking the role of Harbinger after Lila's death a number of years ago in what I believe was a Superman-Batman storyline? Anyway, I like the idea of a new version of Harbinger, someone who can record the events of the new universe and the deeds of the heroes. I don't know if Donna Troy is the person for that or what after the dust settles for Infinite Crisis, or if it's a case of they didn't do it right and kind of misused her. By the way, what does happen after the dust settles from Infinite Crisis? Well, I actually have one more comic to go over, and, and it'll put a bow on everything I've covered today. So I'm going to take a break, and I'll get to that after this. I'll try. And a large black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robison, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. Okay, so there's one more comic I want to cover here because while it was published in 2010, five years after the return of Donna Troy, it winds up being a decent epilogue to this whole saga. Granted, it is not the last time we will see our hero in action because after she was in Infinite Crisis, Donna wound up being one of the stars of Countdown to Final Crisis, which... The less said about that series, the better. But then she had a featured role in the Titans comic that was essentially an attempt to recapture the magic via nostalgia for the Wolfman Perez book. That title itself was a mixed bag, and it only exists in that iteration until issue 21. After that, Titans becomes a villain's forward book with a team that's led by Deathstroke, while a number of the Titans wind up in the Dwayne McDuffie-written Justice League of America title and contend with the aftermath of the Cry for Justice storyline. And really, 
I don't want to talk about what happens or what I don't acknowledge happening at the end of that storyline. So we'll just get to this issue. And that, of course, is issue number 20 of Titans. This issue, which is titled Growing Young, was written by Mike Johnson with art by Sergio Arreño and Wayne Foucher. In it, Donna is getting her photography business off the ground and a client calls to have her cover a high-profile party at a hot Miami nightclub. She heads to the party and takes pictures while also flirting with a cute bartender named Tom. But in the middle of it all, the Fearsome Five show up, having been hired to take her out, by whom we don't know, and I have to say I'd have to reread the following issue or any other issues of the series to see if that's ever resolved. They catch her off guard and almost take her down, but when Tom tries to help out, it gives Donna enough of a window to scurry off, change into her costume, and go to work on these villains. Donna takes all of them down, and then Tom gives her the camera of the woman he'd been flirting with, she thinks that her secret identity as it is has been completely blown and he's playing coy, but she goes along with it and takes the camera. Two weeks later, Donna moves into a brand new apartment in Miami and Tom calls her for a date. Can turn the world on with a smile. You can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile. But it's a girl and you should know it. With each glance and every little movement you show it. Love is all around. No need to fake it. You can never it down. Why don't you take it? You're gonna make it after all. How will you make it on your own? Like I said, there's nothing earth-shattering or world-defining about this story, but but I think that it's a nice one-and-done that serves as an epilogue to the entire Donna Troy saga. All of the origin, mysteries, deaths, rebirths, space missions, and returns are completely over. And she's finally ready to move on, even taking the new civilian identity of Donna Prince. But then these old villains come back and she has to deal with them, and in the middle of that she realizes she, she likes this new city, and well, it's kind of a pilot for a spin-off show. I think I'd read that book, in fact... And it would have been a pretty good idea that uh, would have been a good companion to Wonder Woman. But instead of an Amazon princess navigating through the world, you've got a woman in her 20s trying to work through having put her past behind her and starting fresh. Kind of a Burnside Batgirl, but a little older perhaps and with a lot more weird continuity baggage. Now, I realize that nobody would have read this back in like 2010. And it pretty much sounds like the superhero version of the Party of Five spinoff time of your life you know the one starring jennifer love hewitt
But I can still picture myself enjoying this as a mini or an ongoing series. So take that as you will. Now, I would like to back up a little bit and finish off with more personal content. I tried to keep a lot of this episode on the summary and review side, but let's face it, it wouldn't be an episode of this show without me taking some time to talk about myself. So quite a bit of the Donna Troy backstory that I talked about was part of my life as a teen titan. This is a blog feature that I created and wrote years ago as a way of covering my reread of the new Titans, starting with issue 71 all the way through issue number 130, and uh, that was the time I was collecting the title or buying it off the shelves. I had originally thought of only covering the Return of Donna Troy miniseries in this episode, but and just putting links in the show notes for all of you, but it had been so long since I had written about those stories that I wanted to revisit them, especially since there's so much connective tissue between the Return of Donna Troy and those older stories, especially who was Wonder Girl. Plus, Donna has been a significant part of my con- comics fandom since the very beginning. Obviously, if you were paying attention to the whole episode, heard some of the letters that I co-wrote and had published in New Titans, all of which ended with the same request, please kill Donna Troy. So imagine my surprise in 2003, a full 13 years after we had written that first letter, they actually did it. You know, after all those years, Harris and I finally got what we asked for, even if we actually really didn't want it to begin with. I was 26 in 2003, and when the final issue of Graduation Day came out, I was about three months away from getting married. In contrast, when New Titans number 71 came out in September of 1990, I was entering the 8th grade, and Harris and I had become really good friends because his mom was my sister and my piano teacher. So on a weekly basis, Nancy and I would go to their house, and for the half hour that she was having her lesson, Harris and I, the two of us, would spend time playing video games, geeking out over movies, looking, watching cartoons, and flipping through comic books. In fact, he was the person who introduced me to the New Titans, because at one point he loaned me all of the parts of A Lonely Place of Dying, and told me about Tim Drake and how he's becoming Robin, etc., etc. And my reading that story was right around the time I started buying Detective and Batman, and in Detective was the Tim Drake Obey a Man kidnapping story. And that was my entry to Batman and Robin, at least in comics, in June of 90. In September, I saw New Titans number 71 on the shelf, which was the beginning of the Titans hunt. I can't recall the circumstances that led me to only getting issues 71 and 72 and missing the next four. It's very possible that I missed them because I didn't get to the comic store as much as I wanted to on a regular basis and they were selling out. I mean, I, I would I would read them at Harris's house anyway and then I eventually went back and bought them in back issues. And But I, I picked up issue 77 and issue 78, you know, and and never really looked back. And that was around the time that we also sat in his computer room during my sister's piano lesson and sat there with the latest issue and typed letters to the editor. And while it was my first published letter to the editor, issue 85, it was actually not the first time I'd written to a comic book. That was in December of 1984, when I was seven years old. Now, I've told this story in one form or another a couple of times, but Amazing Comics, which is my LCS in Sable, 
opened up in a former hair salon that was next to the special tea. That was a iron-on t-shirt shop. My dad and I happened to be there. Uh, either we're at, either at the special tea picking up something for a party or we were next door at the pharmacy picking up a prescription. Anyway, he took me inside and there were just more comics in this place than I had ever seen in my entire life. I mean, shelves of them, bins of them, comics on the wall. And this is a really, really small store. I think the maximum occupancy was like three before you violated a fire code. All right, that's exaggerating, but it was really, really small. And, um, you know, you had spinner racks and comics in a glass case and picks of the week, according to the owner, whose name was Bob. And Bob would spend the next couple of decades putting up with my questionable comic book buying habits. Granted, he'd also be taking my money. But, you know, seven years old, my dad walks me into the store and he's like, hello, how are you doing? He tells us to look around and... I scanned the new comic shelves, and my dad pointed to this book. It showed Superman drawn by Frank Miller, crushing machine guns with his bare hands. And he says, hey, Tom, look, Superman the Secret Years. And I got that, and I bought the entire four-issue miniseries. And I loved it so much that I wrote to DC Comics telling them all about how I liked it. I think I expected them to write back to me, and I was a little heartbroken that I didn't get a letter back. But I, it's not like I hold a grudge or anything, because... You know, I bought comics, I wrote letters, they were published, you know, etc. But when I sat down with Harris in 1990, having read a lot of letters and letter columns over in comics, both of us, we, we kind of knew we needed something to get John Peterson's attention because he was the one who was going to ultimately put our letter in the book. So I think it was me who suggested that we kill somebody. And while I can't remember who thought of Donna Troy, we landed on her and decided to choose to close each letter we wrote with that request. Nay, demand that she perish. Signed off with the People for the Death of Donna Troy, Sable New York chapter. And honestly, we actually didn't want her dead. She just happened to be one of the few Titans who hadn't already been captured, injured, or killed at that point, so it seemed like a good cho choice at the time. It wound up working... Because when I picked up issue 85 of the New Titans, I mean, there was our letter. And I was so excited that I got on my bike, I rode a block down to the street to the library, put a quarter in a payphone, and called Harris, and I read him the letter and the response to it right there over the phone. Looking back, ending every letter with please kill Donna Troy was immature and misogynistic, but... If you've listened to prior episodes of this show, you know I also owned a copy of the Ahmed Studios swimsuit special, so it wasn't exactly a feminist at 13, 14 years old. I was just kind of an immature, horny teenage boy. Thankfully, that didn't last. I mean, even beyond high school. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, image, the need to buy image TNA fests got replaced quite, pretty quickly by a quest to own every Teen Titans comic as it is. At least, at least, starting with DC Comics presents number twenty-six, and let's be, let's face it, I already talked about how the nineties were. You know, there were quite a few pretty terrible comics like that. Harris and I both did go to collect all those classic Wolfman Perez issues. Uh, we were also winding our way through the Titans Hunt in Total Chaos at the time. You know, so it was basically us sitting down and looking at it, charting the team's history, speculating on its future, and even going so far as to cast the movie at one point. Don't ask me who we cast as whom, I don't remember. 
And as we got deeper into that mythos of the Teen Titans, the publication baiting calls for Donna Troy's death became just kind of a running gag we put at the end and less important than like the questions we were asking in the letters. I mean, what was going on with the new version of Terra? Were they really bringing back the vigilante? Was Tim Drake ever going to show up in this book? Could we get a crossover with the Justice League? I mean, these are the things we wanted to know. But our ultimate triumph, at least in nerddom, <laughs> came in April 94, when Monarch was revealed to be the mysterious Tight Team Titans leader. Now, this was something that had been central to the book ever since the beginning, and the book would be canceled about four months later, but we saw that it was Monarch, and we therefore got together in my basement to figure out how that worked, because for the longest time, we had thought it was somebody totally different. In fact, the original idea was Danny Chase, but without getting too much into it, I would just say, go read the Titans Companion from Tomorrow's Publishing, and they uh, they have a great, great set of interviews in there that talks about this. But we knew it was Monarch at this point. We sat down in my basement, like two detectives one afternoon, like like we were in a police procedural trying to find out who was behind a crime spree. You know, comics were strewn about the floor, paper was scribbled on, paper was discarded, crumpled, then reconsidered, and then uncrumpled. There were arguments. What does alternate timelines have to do with anything? Was there still a multiverse? How do these events logically coincide with the events that we read about in the DC Universe? And the result was this long, complicated timeline involving Monarch sending the Teamers back as an insurance policy to make sure that Lord Chaos would never prevent his own rise to power in 2001. And we sent it to DC and they mentioned it in the letter column of the last issue of the Team Titans. Hey, man, we were proud of it, and we were proud of getting mentioned in that letter column. The letter that I read from New Titans Zero, though, would not only be our last Donna Troy-related letter, as you heard, but it was also actually the last one we'd ever have published. I don't know how many we actually wrote after that, because that issue dropped at the beginning of my senior year of high school, and by the time I graduated, the two of us had moved on to just going to see sci-fi and superhero movies together. Harris gave up comics after a while, and then I went off to college, and he still had a year of high school left. I didn't give up comics, of course. I wouldn't be here if I did. Moreover, I came to really love this character. And then she died at the hands of that Superman robot, and I thought... Well, I thought about the letters we had written, and I actually felt bad about being so awful. I mean, she was a strong female character who was also human and relatable, and the writers who cared about her took the time to cultivate her personal life. She had relationships, a marriage, to Terry Long, but a marriage, a child, her photography business, she had friends, she was not just somebody in a tight costume. And they created an admirable character in a time when so many female characters were either becoming more hypersexualized when they hadn't been, or were created with anatomical impossibility. And yes, there's still plenty of that out there. And there's still plenty of just these hollow female characters. But now we actually have so many women creating comics and even male writers who realize the value of just like fully fleshed out female characters that Donna Troy is like one of a number of strong female characters and many of them are having an impact on a younger generation of fans and that's really good to see 
Now, as far as her death and return to the DCU via this miniseries, it's an important moment in my comics collecting career. If you listened to the episode of Views from the Long Box that kicked off JL May, you heard Mike and Shag talk about how this whole Countdown to Infinite Crisis event got them re-engaged with DC Comics and the DCU in a way that they hadn't been for a while. And I can say the exact same thing. Countdown to Infinite Crisis dropped in March of 2005, and when it had been solicited in January, I took little notice of it. Now, to be honest, this was a very weird time in my life. Amanda and I had just moved to Charlottesville in August 2004. We spent our first four months there temping. She got a job at the end of December, and I would get a teaching position at the end of August of 2005. But at this point, I was still just temping at UVA. We were also living in a pretty terrible apartment complex. I think part of it was Section 8 housing. Someone got shot in the parking lot at one point. Now, we ended up breaking our lease and finding a much better apartment a few months after that, but I think it's safe to say that it makes sense that comics were not exactly on my mind back then. In fact, they weren't even coming in regularly because I had to deal with Bob over at Amazing Comics, and he would hold my books for me, and I would pick them up when I went home to my parents' house, which at that point was still every few months. That deal lasted until about 2006, I think, because by then I had decided to go all in on a pull list at Atlas Comics in Charlottesville. That's still my LCS. They got bought out by the uh, other comic store in the area, now they're Telegraph Comics, but I wanted to plug them because they are really awesome, and they've been a great second LCS for me in in, in my life here in Charlottesville. Anyway... Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Now, this is actually where I found Atlas. I mean, I guess I would have found the store anyway, but when the book rolled around in March, I'd read a couple of new comics news hype items, and it piqued my interest enough to get the book, especially since it only cost a dollar. I bought it, I took it home, I read it, and from there came back every single week with what little cash I had as disposable income to buy whatever book was out. Now, I completely missed the JLA issues because, and I was only buying the ones that had the banner with, you know, so many weeks to Infinite Crisis. Um, I'd get those later on as back issues. And starting with Countdown and going all the way to Infinite Crisis number seven, I scoured the internet for clues. I read message board post after message board post, people speculating on who was behind everything and what was connected to what. When DC put out a small trade paperback called Prelude to Infinite Crisis, which was a compilation of moments and summaries of events in the DCU that had kind of seeded all this, starting with around the Graduation Day miniseries and going up to that point, I bought it and I scoured through that thing. I was trying to figure out everything. I would go online for like the cover reveals, any panels that had spoilers blacked out. I mean, it was like being in high school again when I used to read and reread those Titans issues so I could figure out what was going to come up next or what the big reveal was going to be or how this one plot was going to be resolved or things like that. And it reignited something. And that carried on through the Sinestro Core War and Green Lantern, but I hit Final Crisis after Countdown, and I, I couldn't deal with it, and I walked away, actually, for about a year and a half. I came back, of course, because we always do. But really, this is why when Mike invited me to cover The Return of Donna Troy, I jumped at the chance. There are so many great, exciting moments 
and moments of fun and fandom that I associated with this time. And I give it credit for being the catalyst for the relationship I have now with the people at my local comic shop. And speaking of LCSs, Amazing Comics, my original LCS, is still in business, although it is now called Android's Amazing Comics because after 30 years in business, Bob sold it and he retired. They also moved to a bigger store at a shopping center about a block away. Now, the last time I saw Bob was in 2013. It was the day before Thanksgiving, and I didn't know he was closing the st- or he was selling the store. I just happened to be there for the weekend. Uh, it, it rained all the night before. It was raining that day. We were bored, so I took Brett there because I was like, hey, let's go to the comic store. The place had not changed. And actually, Bob happened to be there with the new owner, who I believe's name was Andy. And when he introduced me to Andy, he said that I was one of his first customers. So I introduced him to Brett, who was around the same age that I had been when I made my first trip in 1984. We bought a few comics and left, and when I emailed Harris about it that night, he replied, wow, so ends an era. And that is, that, that is the God's honest truth. And I have to say that because when you look at that, it sounds like total, total bullshit. Because it's like a cheesy epilogue to a made-for-TV movie or a schmaltzy sitcom episode. I mean, there's no way I have my dad take me to a comic shop in 1984 for the very first time. And then 30 years later, I return with my son. And I wind up saying to- goodbye to the very guy who sold me all those comics. I mean, no way that actually happens that way. Like, right before he, you know, at the very beginning of his opening the store and right at the end of his, his retiring. There's no way that actually happens. But that actually happened. And Brett and I still get comics together. He's got books on my pull list. And he might be a little more into role-playing games than I do, and, and when he goes to the role-playing game shop to play D&D on a Wednesday night, and I head over to, I head over to the comic store, but at the same time, it's, it's something we have together that um, I'm really grateful for. And in a roundabout way, Donna Troy was a part of that. But that'll do it for this episode. Be sure to check out the other JL May shows. You can find links to them in the show notes as well as over at the Fortress of Bailitude. And come back next month for, well, some more comics. This time around, I'm going to be looking at the Raina Telgemeier graphic novel, Smile. Until then, don't forget to check out the blog, send feedback, follow me on Twitter or Facebook, review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. And take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening, and come back next time 
for more pop culture randomness.